Good morning. I'm very glad to see y'all. I greet you in the name of my Savior. Um, Tommy, thank you for the announcements. Thank you that I did not have to say any of the things you said. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, that's a blessing. Uh, Miss Sherry, thank you for your encouragement, wherever you are. Thank you for your encouragement and challenge to us to worship the Lord and Christopher and company. Thank y'all for the worship. Um, if you got a copy of the scriptures, I wish you would turn to Luke chapter 12. And we're just going to look at uh, four little verses. Approximately four, I think it is. I'm not exactly sure how many verses it is in the Greek New Testament, but approximately three or four. Um, we're going through the life of Christ, and we're into his final year of ministry before he goes to Jerusalem and presents his life as an offering on the cross for our sins. And we're into a, 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 a section of his life where he does a lot of teaching uh, more than normal. Well, I say that, and that's not really well said. We get a, uh, a recording of more of his teaching during this section, during this part of the three-year ministry, than in the first two years. In the first two years, it's his miracles that stand out. It's his relationships, uh, his encounters with people. That's what stands out. Uh, but now we're in an, a section of the Gospels where we hear more of what Jesus taught and, and more specifically his teaching related to the disciples uh, and more specifically his teaching uh, through parables. And so we're going to see uh, a lot of this, a lot of the, uh, often a lot of Jesus' teaching came through parables and we've talked about that before. But uh, let, me, let me read this to you and you can listen to me, okay? You listen as I read this. In Luke chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 35 through 38. It says, be dressed. This is Jesus talking. It says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast or from a wedding feast. Um, Jesus loved weddings. He loved to attend weddings. He loved to... Uh, talk about weddings. He loved to use weddings in his uh, attempts to help us understand his relationship with us and his father's relationship with us. And so weddings were near and dear to his heart and he used weddings as a, uh, an illustration quite often. Uh, it says, Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself, the master, will seat them, seat the servants, put on an apron or a, a servant's cloak is really the, 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 the word, and serve them as they sit and eat. The master will serve the servants. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. Uh, he may come, uh, really that's literally 
before midnight, the three hours before midnight, or the three hours after midnight. That's the first and second watch, as some of your translations would say. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he'll reward the servants who are ready. Um, boy, I pondered that passage all week long, and I can't, I can't, the Lord Jesus express to you um, what I think the Lord Jesus is wanting us to see and grasp here in this little story that he told. Um, as I said, Jesus loved to use weddings as an illustration. Uh, weddings were one of the very brief moments of joy and rest in the life of the average Jewish person in Jesus' day. Their lives were hard. Very hard. They were poor. Almost everyone in, in Jesus' day in Israel was very poor. And uh, they had very oppressive lives, very poor lives, very difficult lives, very joyless lives to a large degree from what historians and archaeologists tell us. Uh, and so weddings were a big deal. And um, they went on for several days. They would have several days of parties before the wedding and then they would have the wedding and then they would have several days following the wedding. That was normal. And so literally people that got up early before sunrise and worked till after sunset every day. For them to have three or four days where they didn't work was a big deal. It was a big deal to them to get that kind of celebration and partying and rest. Uh, it was a big deal in a little village for people to experience that. And just so you know, for Jesus to say in this story that the... Um, the servants didn't know when the master was returning. The idea is he's been gone a long time and they still don't know exactly when he's coming back. That says a lot more than you and I would understand because the richer the family, the longer the wedding would go. So if you can imagine, a poor family's wedding would last Two or three days. Maybe one day. They're very poor. A little more wealthy. A few more days. A little more wealthy. A few more days. A, ma a master who had unlimited wealth. Wonder how long that wedding would last. That's what Jesus is saying. My dad's throwing a wedding. My dad's got unlimited wealth. He's gone a long time. There's a lot of waiting and the waiting is in proportion to the wealth. His absence is in proportion to the wealth of the wedding that he can throw. It's a lovely idea there. Um, this is obviously a story that Jesus is telling to emphasize his, that, that there will be a day when he returns. He's going to leave. He's going to live. He's going to die. He's going to rise again. And he's going to leave. And then he's going to come again. And we call that the second 
coming of Christ, the return of Christ, the second advent of Christ. And Jesus taught about his absence and return as much as any other subject that Jesus taught about. This is a big subject for Jesus. The four gospel writers all talk much about Jesus being gone and Jesus coming back. What's striking is for this to be such a big subject for Jesus as far as the amount of ink that he uses or has used to talk about his coming back. And yet, basically, if you read the words of Jesus, Jesus gives us very, very few details about how that return, what that return, and when that return will take place. He's very vague, very uh, unspecific in uh, the details of how and what and when and where that return will take place. What he is incredibly specific about is that I am giving you my promise. I am giving you my word that I will come back. You can bank on it. You can count on it. I'm telling you, like I've told you, other things that you believe, I want you to believe my promise that I will come again. And when I come, I will judge and I will reward. When I come back, and I am coming, and when I come back, I will judge and I will, and I will reward. Um, one of the things that I think is significant about this story is, that, again, is just one of Jesus' many reminders. It's one of the Bible's many reminders that waiting is a part of God's plan for God's people. We are very unique as a society, being Americans. We are very unique as a society that we have created a society that is, as a society, very opposed to waiting. We hate waiting. We hate waiting for airplanes and taxis. We hate lines at the grocery store and Disney World. We hate waiting for uh, the, the, uh, the uh, FedEx man to bring the Amazon box. We, we hate waiting. And yet, most of us in this room declare our belief in and our allegiance to someone who seems to delight in waiting. It's the story of the Bible. God's people were put in situations where they had to wait for God's help. They had to wait for God's protection. They had to wait for God's um, presence. They had to wait for God to come again. One of the things that you see woven through these stories that Jesus tells about his return, and you see it in the story that we're looking at today, in Jesus' mind, waiting is only possible. Now hear me, don't miss this. In Jesus' mind, waiting is only possible and reasonable where there is an incredibly strong love relationship. 
There's a connection between my willingness to wait on you and how much I love you and you love me. People that have no or little love relationship, they wait none or little. You might think, well, how do you know that? Well, let me ask you a question. Shirley, how long would you wait on Rainy to show up? Long time. Why? Because you love her. And you know that she loves you. We will always wait on people that we love and that we know loves us. And in Jesus' mind, if I know him and love him and I know that he loves me back, that should be the primary motive and the primary power in helping me wait. We wait on people that we love. Last thing this story talks about, I'm being very general before we get into the specifics, is Jesus is saying here that what we do while we're waiting is a big deal. What we do while we're waiting is a big deal. It's a big deal to Jesus. And those that wait well, Jesus would say, they're going to be rewarded well. There's a, there's a connection between how well I wait and what I experience when the waiting is over. Now let's look at this passage. I want to read this passage one more time. And then we're going to pull out a couple of thoughts. Read, let's follow with me. It says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return the moment he arrives. And not. Then you'll be ready to open the door. And let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth. He the master himself will seat them, the servants. Put on an apron or put on a servant's robe. And serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn. But whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Of all the parables that Jesus tells, I find this to be one of the most amazing and astonishing of all of them. It's a picture of a master who is returning from a wedding. He's been gone, it appears, for a long time. And nobody in the house knows when he's going to return. It's also a story of the servants that live in the house that belong to the master and what they're doing while the master has been away. I told you that weddings were a time of great celebration, a great time of rest. Um, That's important to know. Um, I also would emphasize that when we talk about this relationship between us and God, And us being servants. You understand that that is one picture. One facet of the different relationships that you and I have with God. No one picture. No one example. No one idea can adequately represent all of the relationships that we have with God. No one picture can convey all that's true about our relationship with God. By example, 
the Bible says that we are both the bride of God or the son of God. We're also the children of God. The Bible says that we are God's servants. And the Bible says that we're also God's friends. Each of those relationships emphasizes a different aspect of how God sees us, how God relates to us, and how God wants us to see and relate to Him. Jesus' point today, His emphasis today, is that we are the servants of God. God created us to be His servants. It's a part of God's calling for our lives God created you and God created me to live for the pleasure and the plans and the purposes and the honor of God. You know, of all the teaching that I, when I uh, 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 risk turning on Christian TV and risk turning on Christian radio, Of all the ideas, of all the relationships that I hear emphasized between me and God, the idea that I am God's servant is one that I almost never hear anybody talk about. We live in a society where that is not palatable, that I would be somebody's servant. That I would have a master. And yet, the Bible says that we were created by God to be His servant. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, God says that we should serve the Lord with all of our heart. In Joshua 24, Joshua told the Israelites, Choose you today who you will serve. His point is that everybody I'm talking to, is going to serve somebody. Everybody I'm talking to is going to serve a master. You get to choose who that master is. Joshua went on to say, me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Uh, Matthew chapter 25, one of Jesus' most famous parables. Jesus talks about these three servants and the master gave a certain amount of wealth to each of these three men and one used it really really well another one used it well and one didn't use it at all his point being it's important to God how faithful we are in serving him and using the resources that God gives us in our service to him Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 God made me his servant and he alone will judge my faithfulness one of my favorite proverbs says this proverb in proverbs 17 it says that a wise and faithful servant will share in the inheritance of his master's children i love that i'm not even sure why i love that so much but a wise and faithful servant will share in the inheritance of his master's servants and we see this This idea of importance. Uh, We see it's a significant idea that runs through the Bible. This idea of being a faithful servant. Um, Some of you that are reading through the Bible with me. We read, oh, a week ago, I guess, give or take, about Abraham had this faithful servant. And he sent the faithful servant back to his homeland 
because his son needed a bride and Abraham was too old to make the journey. So he sent this servant to go find a bride for his son. This idea of a faithful servant. Uh, Joshua was a faithful servant to Moses. David's mighty men. John Rimmers, um, David's uh, men. It's amazing how the servants of David felt about David and related to David and sacrificed for David. Um, uh, 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 Elisha being a faith. Timothy and John Mark and Luke serving the Apostle Paul. You, you see this idea of people running through the Bible who give their lives in service to others and ultimately they give their service to others as a way of giving their service to God. I'm going to regret using my time to say this, but I, I think it's significant my mom and my brother and I were having lunch the other day at Amerigo's. And uh, when you have lunch with my brother, it's sort of a, like go, taking a crash college course uh, because he has lots to tell you. But he made a, a statement that I thought was uh, not always true, but, but in this case, it was a very wise statement. And I'd never thought about it before. He said, you know, if you want to know about the person that runs a company. Don't check him out. Don't check out the person that runs the company that you're thinking about going to work for. Check out the people that work for him and see how long they've worked for him. Because great people won't work for bums very long. Great people will eventually get tired of working for a, a jerk. Somebody that's no good. And they'll move somewhere else. But somebody that is great. And they've worked for somebody else for years and years and years. That's the guy you want to work for. Great people won't work for bums very long. But great people will work for great people for a lifetime. I see that in Sherry's dad's company. I went to a Christmas party for their company last month. I go to this same Christmas party every year. Been going to the same Christmas party for 30 years. 1985. Gone to the same Christmas party with the same group of people since 1985. Overwhelmingly. 90% of the people that were there the very first Christmas... They're still there. Wonder why? Couldn't find another job? Oh no. They got used to working for a great man. And they didn't want to stop. I want you to notice two quick things about this parable. Two, two different activities going on. I want us to notice the activity of the servants... And I want us to notice the activity of the master. So real quickly, I want you to think about the activity of these servants in this story. I find it very significant that these servants are so passionate about doing a good job while the boss is away. They seem very concerned 
that they are doing what will please the master, that will bless the master. There seems to be this genuine love, this genuine loyalty, this genuine desire to please and honor this master. I don't sense in this story at all any fear. Like, oh my gosh, when the master comes back, if I'm not doing a good job, woo, wonder what he'll do to me. I don't see that in this story at all. I don't see any begrudgment. I don't see any uh, compulsion. I don't see any fear. I don't see any duress. I don't see these guys sitting around going, Oh, I'm glad the guy's gone. Hope he stays away a long time. Let's sit back, as in another parable that Jesus tells, let's sit back and eat and drink and be merry while the master's gone. No, no, no. It's shocking to me. It's amazing to me that these servants are uber concerned about doing what they're supposed to be doing so that when the master returns, he will be pleased in how he finds them. Their work, their service, their sacrifice, their faithfulness seems to flow not out of fear, but out of a love relationship. And again, I would just declare, it seems to me that the wonderfulness of the service of the servants seems to flow out of the wonderfulness of the master. The master must have been so great that he, he didn't... You let me come back and find you laying down, goofing off, being a bum, being slack, and you will pay the price. No, no, no. It seems in this story that these guys are so passionate about being a blessing to this man. And the only conclusion I can draw is that they want to be found doing that which blesses this man because they have been the recipients of this man's blessings. They have received great blessing, great mercy, great love, and they want to show that blessing and that love back. It's a different way of looking at Jesus coming back, isn't it? Most of the time when I hear people I heard a man one time say, you know, I really believe that Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to be madder than Hades. What a terrible way. Wonder what that does to the Lord Jesus. Wonder, can you imagine if, if your child looked at their mate and said, my dad's, he's going to come, he's going to drop by sometime this afternoon. Oh my gosh. He's going to be so, oh, it's going to be terrible. It's going to, he's going to be so, he's going to bring all that anger and wrath into our house. My goodness. For us to think about Jesus' return in the context that he's mad, that he's disappointed, that he's coming with a stick. Wonder what in the world that must do to him. I wonder what that does to him. These 
servants were faithfully serving somebody that they couldn't wait for him to return. Because they loved him. And they knew that he loved them. And that he was going to... They might not have known. In fact, I would suggest they didn't know what was going to happen. But they weren't afraid of it. They were excited about it. They couldn't wait to see the master. Second activity that I think is important in this story is the activity of the master. I, if I didn't believe that every word, every page, every chapter, every book, every story, every person, and every event in the Bible was absolutely true. If I didn't believe that, this would be a great example of a, of a passage that I'd say, that proves the Bible's not true. Because if the Bible was true, this story wouldn't be in it. You ever heard of a God that comes home and takes off his clothes and wraps himself in a servant's robe and gets down and serves the servants? You ever? Did you read in the paper when, um, what's that last girl that got married over in England? What's her name? She's pregnant now. Yeah, Meghan Markle. Did you read the article where after the wedding, they went to this big, huge reception and the queen stopped the party and put on a robe and went around cleaning up the dishes at the table, at the tables of the people at the party. Did you read that story? No. Do you remember, did you read the story about the dude that runs uh, Apple or, or whatever company, these big, huge, you remember the, the, the story about the corporation where they had this big, huge employee uh, 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 meeting and the CEO of the whole place stopped the story? I don't either. Sure that everybody had enough food and drink. Do you remember reading that story? I don't either. I don't either. And yet that's the point of this story. Jesus wants us to be astonished. Jesus' listeners were astonished. This doesn't happen. Masters don't come home and insist on serving the servants. Did, did anybody think about the contrast in this story of Jesus and the story that Jesus told in Luke 15 about the father when the prodigal son came home? In that story, the father gives for all practical purposes, the servant a robe and elevates the servant son to a higher position. In this story, the master, the father, goes down. Both are true. Both are important. I just find it significant that here the master takes off his robe and puts on the garments of a servant to serve those that have served him. It was unimaginable. It was shocking. It was outlandish in Jesus' day to consider such a thing. No king would serve the servants. And yet King Jesus, that seems to be his M.O. What did he say? Um, uh, uh, the Son of Man came. 
not to be served, but to serve. And then the very last thing he does before he dies on the cross is he gathers his closest servants together and he says, you sit down, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be the servant to you. The king, the master, the father becoming a servant to those that have faithfully served him. You know, I thought about that passage in uh, 2 Thessalonians. I'm summarizing what's going to take place when Jesus returns. I'm summarizing it, but this is the idea. We will see Jesus returning in the blinding glory of His Father, with His mighty angels in flaming fire coming with Him. You know why Jesus is coming back in that passage in 2 Thessalonians? You know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is coming back in these robes, these garments that display the Shekinah glory of His Father. He's surrounded by these flaming angels, uh, 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 legions of these angels. The sky is ablaze as Jesus returns on this mighty white stallion. Why is He coming back? He's coming back to celebrate His wedding. He's coming back to celebrate his victory over the devil and the Antichrist and death and hell. He's coming back to celebrate the establishment of his kingdom. And if I understand this story right, right in the middle of this celebration of his kingdom and his wedding and his victory over death and hell and evil and the devil, he says, stop! Stop! I want to take some time. And I want to serve my servants. I want to make sure they're happy. I want to make sure they're taken care of. I want to bless those that have been such a blessing to me and my kingdom and my people. Who would do that? What groom would stop his wedding to make sure the servants were taken care of. Who would do... What king would, would ride into a, a country that he had conquered and they're screaming his name and celebrating his victory and he stops the festivities to make sure that his servants are honored and blessed and taken care of. I just think it's important that we not miss in this story the delight, the love, the pride, the joy, the passion of this master, this dad, this king, this God as he comes into this home and rather than Giving everybody a nod and then going on with all the honors that he deserves. He stops everything and he says, y'all sit down. You've been working your butts off for me. Y'all sit down. 
I'll serve you for a little while. Because I love you. And I, wanna, I want you to get to, I've missed you. I want you to get, I want to get reacquainted with you. I want to get to know you again. I want to, tell me what's going on. And I want you to know what I've been doing. I love you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. I want us to, to, to re-engage in the intimacy that I have longed to have with you while I was gone. I want to give you two applications. I want you to go home with two thoughts. We live We live in a very discouraging world. Our city's discouraging. Our country's discouraging. Our world's discouraging. I'm not saying there's not great things going on. I'm not saying there's not many reasons to be hopeful. But I watch the news and it's discouraging. I'm just telling you. One of the reasons that it's so discouraging is our just the lack of nobility. The lack of character, the lack of integrity, the lack of moral goodness. We we live in a world of users. We live in a world of takers. We live in a world of people that will look you in the face and do whatever it takes to get from you what they want. And when, you've, when they've bled you dry, they move on to the next. Folks, I'm sorry about that and I don't know the answer to that. But I can tell you this. If this story teaches anything, this story declares... That the God of the New Testament, Jehovah God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, is not a taker. He's not a user. At his core, his nature, his passion is to share out of his abundance and fullness with his children and his citizens and his servants. At his core, he's a giver. He's a blesser. He's a sharer. He's not a user, a miser, a taker, or a hoarder. Paul says, uh, yeah, Paul says in Acts 17, God isn't served by humans as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else they need. Psalm 104 says that God satisfies the thirsty and He fills the hungry with good things. We're not filling God with good things, guys. We're not adding anything to God. We're not, God is not a well that is empty of water. And when you join the club, when you join God's army, When you become God's servant. When you become a part of God's family. Okay everyone. Let's all go get a bucket of water from the Mississippi River. And go and fill up God's well. Because God's well is empty. 
And God needs us to take our little buckets full of our little muddy, stinking uh, 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 water and go fill up God's well that is empty. That is... God doesn't need our water. What God delights in is being the source of water for us. Jesus is not an empty bucket longing to be filled by a mighty river. He is a mighty river that longs to be the source of filling up our empty buckets. Romans chapter 8 says, If God didn't spare not freely for us all, will He also not freely give us all things? Psalm 31 says, How abundant are the good things, O God, that You've stored up for all those who fear You. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 9, God will generously provide all you need so that you will not lack in any way. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, In the ages to come, God will reveal to us the immeasurable riches of His grace. Ephesians 3 says, this great, Paul says, this grace was given to me. This, this message from God was given to me to preach the boundless riches of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined all that God has prepared for those who love Him. There is no God. Those of you that struggle with there being a bunch of different gods, you, you, you send me a text or an email about the God that you have discovered that delights in being the source of our abundance. Like the God of the Bible. There's no one like Jehovah. Who refuses to give up his role. As the inexhaustible bestower. Of abundant and limitless goodness. This idea that God needs us. That God's kingdom is going to collapse without us. That God wants us to, 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 to he, if, we, if we don't step up, it won't be done. The master is coming. Not to, his passion is not to come and rebuke those that hadn't done an A+. Plus. His passion is to return and say, Dad, come and I'm proud of you. Thank you for what you did. Big or little, thank you. Let me serve you. Out of my abundance. Second thing I would say. This story emphasizes to me. Just quickly. Those of us that are in authority. Those of us that are parents. Those of us that are mates. Those of us that have people that work for us. 
The greatness of a person is not how many people serve them, but how many people they serve. Let us not forget Jesus' words. Whoever would be great among you, let him first be a servant. Jesus came to be a servant. Jesus will return to do exactly. He left being a servant. He'll return to be a servant. If you and I are going to reflect Him as our Savior, we need to be servants to one another as well. Terry Townsend, you and Mama come up here and help me please. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. I've read this verse to you many times because it's one of my favorites in Hebrews chapter 9. Paul says, Christ has been offered once and for all to bear the sins of many and will appear again not to deal with our sin, not to rebuke us, not to scorn us, not to scold us, not to punish us, but He will return to save those who are eagerly awaiting His return. I invite you to come and eat bread and drink wine if you are eagerly waiting for His return. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, what do I got to believe? What have I got to do? What have I got to... Well, what, what's the requirements to be a Christian? How many things have I got to believe? How many things have I got to do to be a Christian? According to this passage, what you need to do to be a Christian is be a part of that group that says, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I'm eagerly waiting for His return. If that describes you, then I invite you to come up here and to take some bread and some juice which is yellow or wine that's purple and to eat and drink and remember how the God of the universe laid aside His deity and glory and He became a servant. How the one who had unlimited immeasurable abundance set it all aside to come and serve us so that we could be the beneficiaries of all of that unlimited abundance. Give thanks. Remember. Rejoice in what the God of the universe has done for us. You come and do that please.